Industry Under Pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. All right, I have a question for all of you out there, faithful listeners, um, and, and which, by the way, faithful listeners, uh, happy new year. This should be the first uh, the first episode. You should be hearing this episode the first week of January, twenty twenty two. So happy new year, and uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that you all have all of your New Year's resolutions sorted out and in order, and you are prepared for a fantastic year. Uh, so. Uh, so so good luck with that. But in the meantime, we're gonna we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about technology in the oil and gas industry because, by the way, you are listening. Uh, as you, I mean, you know this already, but I'm supposed to say it. you're listening to the Oil and Gas Tech Podcast right here on the Oil and Gas Global Network, which is the largest and most listened to network of podcasts for the oil and energy industry. Uh, in fact, um, the tech show, as we as we call it, colloquially, 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 colloquially. A- anyway, as we as we call it around around the shop here, the tech show is um, it's coming up on a on an anniversary or a birthday. I don't know what he do. is it a birthday or an anniversary when you talk about show. But I think coming up in May, I think May is going to be um, is going to be. Uh, Three years, I think. I think it's three years for them. It might be four years. You know, now that now that I say that, I'm going to have to go back. I, the years go by so fast anymore. Anyway, it's been uh, it's been a while, and we have a great audience. So thanks to all of you for listening. And uh, and so, what are we going to talk about today? Ah, yes, yes, yes. I have a question. I have a question. Do you know what? Can you tell me what the difference is between DLT? And blockchain. Now, I did not say BLT as in the sandwich. I said DLT as in Delta L uh, T. What's T? Tango. Tango. Okay. So, uh, or, or or distributed dist, ooh, distributed ledger technology and uh, blockchain. Do you know? Do you know the difference? Um, yeah, probably most of you do because because you're all you're all tech people and you know this kind of stuff. But I had to look it up and. Um, um, and I found a fan, there's actually an excellent, excellent explanation right here at the BBVA website with the BBVA, the, the, uh, the Spanish, uh, financial services and technology powerhouse. And they have actually a very good article here. Um, or I don't know, is this an article or whatever? This is a webpage. And, uh, they're explaining the difference between, between, uh, Bitcoin blockchain and now DLT distributed ledger technology, um, and anyway, so there's a couple of there's a couple of interesting things in here. You should you should read if you're interested in this. this is this is good? You can find it on the BBVA BBBBVA.com. You should be able to find this pretty easily if you just search for those terms. And um, well, it turns out it says here that the difference is simpler than it might appear. A blockchain or a chain of blocks is a type of DLT meaning. Meaning, this is a case of a common phenomenon of name recognition causing confusion. 
so sometimes when the success of a particular product or whatever the thing is, when, when, the, when, the, when the success of the thing overtakes the umbrella to which the thing belongs, and it kind of ends up, uh, well, the terminology they use here is it ends up devouring its namesake. Uh, in the same way, uh, <laughs> here we go, not all sticky notes are post-it. <laughs> so not all DLTs are blockchain. Now, if that hasn't got your wheels turning, I don't know what does. But uh, it is it is an excellent it's it's, it's a good little write up here. And the reason um the reason why did I get into this? Ah, yes. Okay, because our guest today um is uh is that he's actually quite well known around you know around the Houston uh startup community and and beyond Houston, I'm sure. And uh um, and around, particularly around uh, funding and uh, um, and investments for uh, small tech companies that are focused uh, on on oil and energy, and and he's he has uh, he has recently departed uh, a stint that he he was at uh, Shell Ventures for a while, and he's he's back out in the wild again, and he he's 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 leading the as the, he's the CEO of a new uh, company that is starting up as a result of a consortium from some other big companies. Anyway, he's going to explain it all. You're going to hear him talk about this, but um, it's a really interesting, um, it's, it's a really interesting new application. And we're, we're finding this, this blockchain type uh, distributed ledger type technology. You know, we went from a few years ago where nobody thought it had any application in oil and gas to surprise. It does. Uh, of course, we've had the data gumbo folks on the show talking about contract automation, and we've had some other people, uh, you know, other, other, other applications for this and today is uh, today today the application is focused on really a, a piece of the whole oil and gas value chain that doesn't get talked about a whole lot and really I had never given much thought to and uh, and that has to do with um, what happens when uh, you know when a commodity it, so when a commodity is bought and sold unlike just a regular stock um, you know, like a regular equity investment. In an equity investment, there's not anything tangible or concrete that changes hands. But if, you know, if you buy X amount of gas or whatever the commodity is, uh, could be, you know, could be lumber, could be whatever. Uh, that that stuff has to go from from one place to another, and there's all kinds of accounting and things that I, that that whole like that whole life cycle is something that I hadn't given much thought to. But uh, but we're gonna cover it. It's, it's it, it, after this episode, uh, you're gonna know all about it, and you're gonna find that it's uh, it is fan, it's it's fascinating. And and I think I think uh, and I think our guest and his team uh, they're gonna bring some really interesting technology into this space. So. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the OGGN Spotlight, Kirk Coburn. And that does get us to the most exciting part of the show, where somebody else starts talking. So, as you heard me uh, say before that snappy musical interlude, I am here with... Uh, Kirk Coburn, and uh, I usually a lot of times I say the person's name, and then I usually say like what company they're with. But like your story is so much more interesting than that, Kirk. So I'm not even going to say like where you're. We'll get into that into your story. But anyway, thanks, uh, Kirk. Thanks for making time. Today. Absolutely, Michael. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah. And here, by the way, uh, so we're not at the fabulous Canon today. Uh, we were. Well, I'm actually to, in but, the Canon, uh, just in the corner. Yeah. So. 
You're you're at the. Game. I'm in the cannon in the corner. Um, in the cannon in the corner. <laughs> so it's better than being down the long metal uh, tube part of the cannon. Um, yeah, we were. I was going to be there, and then something happens, and so we're in the remote configuration today. But the cannon is is we love hanging out there. I, I I've seen you there a few times recently. Is it just just recently that you started? Uh, September. Um, you know, we joined in September, in September, and it's been. You know, we're already outgrowing our space, so we're gonna try to figure out what we're doing next. Cool. Yeah, we we have a lot of we we have a lot of fun there. We do all of our do a lot of our events there and stuff like that. So you have to we have to get you out to one of the, the next uh, the next industry mixer that we do there. Anyway, so Kirk, um, let, let's uh, start with. Uh, so you're doing some really interesting stuff now, but. I, I think your whole story is interesting. Like, like I know that when I go and I looked at your LinkedIn profile, I can keep hitting that show five more experiences button like seven or eight times, and like the like all the, all the different companies that you've had, and that's because you're you know you've been in the venture world, you've been in the startup world. Um, I I remember first hearing your name associated with Surge here in Houston, um, but like how do you how do you like what's like what's the short version of your whole story? Yeah, the short version is I, you know, I'm I'm a wannabe entrepreneur, um, and I sort of am also a wanderer vagabond. I mean, I look for things that are interesting and try to get involved in them. Um, so, since 2010, I would say that I've sort of set my my sunsetting my career focused on the intersection of energy, technology, and the environment. Um, so there, that's that's who I am. Yeah, yeah. that's. That was that was the really short version. Um, I did notice. Uh, I think the other thing when I was checking up on your latest is I saw something uh, a label called uh, climate entrepreneur. So that uh, I guess that's what what you just described. I mean, sure. I think you know you got to put something on LinkedIn. I figured I it's it's a good it's a good tagline to at least start a dialogue. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it makes it makes people ask questions. Um, okay, so. Uh, um, anyway, you, you've been in the, as I mentioned, you've been in the startup world. You did, you did a, you did a stint with big company, right? With Shell Ventures. Mm-hmm. Um, that was where I think we first met. Um, and, and, and you, and you punched out of that recently and you started up this new, uh, um, company called Eliox, which I think, uh, uh, I just read a, I just kind of read a brief, uh, summary of what you guys are doing, and and it's a space that doesn't get talked about very much. But it, on you know, purpose, commodity post trade, <laughs> commodity post trade processing. But what what before we get into what exactly you're doing? What's the what's the the uh, what was the hole in the industry or the the opportunity that you saw that you could like go in and do some good? Yes, well, I mean for Eliox, and we can talk about it. But the, but the ultimate opportunity is that. Energy trading, which is sort of the core of a lot of oil and gas companies and even new energy companies, is um, it, it's a tough business. Um, the wholesale trading of gas and power um, is core to a lot of companies, and it's it's critical for you and me because we need power, we need heat. Um, and, and the challenge is moving molecules and electrons around the world is really, really difficult. Um, and the technology hasn't been keeping up um, with the volume. And so the industry said, hey, we have to fix the problems. Otherwise, you know, we're becoming less efficient and um, it's, become, it's breaking. So we need, to, we need to fix it and technology can do that. 
So it, it's interesting because I would have thought that um, I would have I would I would have thought it'd be the other way around. I would have thought that the trading side of it. I mean, because because the trading world in general um, uh, has been like pretty pretty well enabled computer wise, right? And and like electronic processing and workflows and stuff for such a long mm-hmm. time. I mean, I remember working back like late nineties with some uh, some companies in the in the on the in the investment world and they seems to really have the cool stuff back then compared to what a lot of I mean oil and I mean yeah. oil and gas led technology innovation in the 80s I mean it started with machine learning you know um, back in yeah. back in 1980 itself so so oil and gas was one of the you know biggest adopters of of big data compute etc now you're talking about the capital markets and and finance right. fintech in general fintech is super advanced and so if you look at a lot of the exchanges and um you look at at, at at a lot of the technology that's in the capital markets and in fintech it's really advanced now the challenge is when you actually get to physically moving things around so the challenge and what makes oil and gas or energy difficult even with renewables with with um, electrons that are generated via the sun or wind is Tracking and moving physical things is more difficult, and, and accounting for those physical things is more difficult. So, when it's a financial transaction, mm-hmm. it's it's sort of, you know, it's an idea, and it's easier to account for, and the technology to track that has been been around. But when you actually are physically moving natural gas from point A to point B, it has to be moved on pipelines. Um, the technology has has not kept up. So, so at the end of the day, okay. I think it's when you really think about the physical delivery and the physical movement is just more difficult. Got you right. So, um, so what you're, so what you're dealing with then is the, is, is I mean, there's the there's the actual movement of the mm-hmm. materials, but then there's the the connection between that and the actual trade data and I mean how, how does how does the movement of the materials become a problem for the trade processing uh, yeah so you have you have these primarily larger companies and traders and market makers that are involved in trading you know let's say natural gas in this instance and they have their own energy trading systems that are there to manage risk and account for okay we traded X and Y with this party um, then all of a sudden, once a trade is made, you have to actually, someone's got to physically deliver that gas from point A to point B. And, and that process right. today is there's multiple systems. Most of it's manual, on Excel, using paper, emails, um, messages, message boards, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. That's the challenge is it's sort of a lot of independent systems have grown up to, to do this, but it's becoming more complicated. And there hasn't been a is system it, that's been able to sort of track it and and, and deliver it. So it's so it's an actual concern for people to say, "How do I know if I re- actually received what I bought?" No. Um, yeah. Or how do how do I know if I if what I sold actually departed the right place and was is that the um, I, I we don't I think most people don't really think about that very much right we just kind of assume like you do the trades and then you assume that all that other stuff happens magically behind the scenes. yeah I mean a lot that's you said earlier you know trading is the most opaque industry because 
people in the business don't want everyone to know about how it works because that's part of the secret sauce is yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and so a- absolutely a lot of people don't think about it until you know last february when when the freeze you know shut down a lot of systems and people were cold and um and gas didn't move and people didn't understand where things were ha- were happening that you know that calls for hey there there needs to be a change here we could make this better yeah 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 right yeah it, it like i mean at that point you've just you don't even have the ability you have no accountability like you don't even know who to not that not the finger pointing is the answer but it's nice to actually know like where the <laughs> what's causing the problem or where mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. you know where the process is broken so so what um okay so you started this uh company Eliox and um um and and you 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 you're bringing it into that space so what what are you doing exactly how are you how, what's the what approach did you take to to clean up all of that uh, convoluted well, the good news is um, is that it was actually a consortium. So it wasn't me per se. I was part of the sort of the original one of the teams at Shell helping get this thing off the ground. But it's there, we have six investors. It's a consortium of of some of the largest uh, traders and marketers of natural gas um, that have gotten together, saying, "Hey, we all share in the in the same problems." Um, we, we could all try to solve it ourselves, but it'd be easier if we sort of collectively tried to solve it as a consortium and mm-hmm. let a company, independent company, do that, which is Eliox. And, and what we're doing is we're building a platform that once a trade is post-trade, so meaning after a trade has been made between two parties, we will come in and we'll confirm the trade all the way to settling the trade. And so there's there's some steps between those two, but we're going to put all that on mm-hmm. a distributed ledger. Um, and we can talk about that. Um, yeah, put it on yeah, a distributed yeah. ledger and, um, and, and try to make the industry a lot more efficient. Right. I, okay, I got to pause here because I always, um, I always like to ask this, especially with new companies. How'd you come up with the name? <laughs> Heliox is my idea, actually. Elios yeah. means clemency and mercy in, in Hebrew, and I really like the idea of sort of transitioning the industry that's kind of, um, you know, that's really dependent upon manual processes. So really transitioning them to something better. Transitioning also means mm-hmm. that we think that it's environmentally going to um, – we have sort of ambitions to move in sort of the carbon tracking and emit- carbon emission space. And so when I think right. of Elios, I think of we're offering the industry clemency and mercy by helping them be more efficient. Putting an X on the end, Eliox sounds cooler in my, my opinion. Um, so <laughs> a little creative. A- X is always make X is, X make is cool. cool. X is cool. It's, and X, X and X marks a spot. So it does. It, it does. It does. So this must, this must be it. Um, also, the, the answer that I usually get is part of the whenever I ask about an interesting uh, name uh, is the, somewhere in the explanation is usually and the domain name was available. That, that's usually yeah, part true. of it. But you didn't, you, yeah, that, that wasn't really, that wasn't part of your Well, the domain name so. must be part of, must be available or you can buy it. So that's, that's sort of a tactical reason. Yeah, but, yeah. but ultimately, yeah, yeah and I think, and, and the, the fact that it's a little bit difficult to say is good because it creates that synapses, like you have to think about it versus, right. Right, right, something that sounds like everything else. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's uh, that's good. All right, so, um, so so this consortium 
Yeah, I like the idea of, of a consortium that's sort of like deployed through, or I guess materialized as a as a company mm-hmm. that's operating, right? Um, I haven't really, I, I mean, because this industry has had lots of consortiums, right? But but uh, the idea of has anybody? I, I'm trying to think of anybody else has done that. That's kind of a that's kind of a unique idea, right? To say let's have the consortium, but then let's make a company that goes and. Exploits. Well, I mean, there's there's different types of consortiums. One of the original consortiums in energy and energy was called the Intercontinental Exchange ICE. I mean, they're oh yeah, yeah they yeah, were yeah, a consortium. Yeah, Shell yeah, yeah. and Goldman Sachs and a whole bunch of others were one of the original investors. Yeah, um, that's right. In fact, in Comgo, two companies that during my time at Shell were created as a consortium in um in europe um you've got covantis you've got you know one of the blockchain distributed ledger platforms corda was a consortium I mean, there's a lot of consortiums but and and they okay. tend to work so they, they, they uh, <laughs> so i was completely wrong about they, that <laughs> they can they can work consortiums are a great idea but yeah. they also pose challenges and i'm actually writing about that on my blog kirkcoburn.com selfless plug but i, I i'm going to write about sort of sort of my journey as an entrepreneur, but also, you know, I'm in a consortium. People, you talk to some people like consortiums are terrible. I'm like, well, why? And some people say consortiums are great. And I'm like, why? You, you really have to understand the nuance and understand what, why do things succeed and why do things fail? And sometimes people like yeah. to say, speak in generalities and you just can't speak in generalities when you're investing a lot of money. You got to know. Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that the industry, the oil and gas industry in particular, I think sometimes people roll their eyes when you say something like consortium or or any you know other kinds of things because uh, because so many there's been so many different groups and you know people then they start thinking about standards bodies and they start thinking about um, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, like like uh, I'm not going to name any of the usual suspects but all of these groups that kind of got uh, probably the one exception in recent years was OSDU which actually is mm-hmm. is like making uh, making progress in the world so um, but but yeah interesting if you if you turn it into a company then um, you know now, now well there's you, been consortiums for years um, you know uh, in the technology space, there's a lot of consortiums to bring about, you know, consistent frameworks uh, around, yeah. you know, dry, you know, the types of, you know, dongles and drives and technologies yes, that should yeah. be genericized so that you can mass produce them and save money and not get bogged yeah. down and, and being irrelevant. But, um, you know, it's, it's in oil and gas, they do it all the time. Hollywood does it all the time. It's just sharing risk. I don't want to invest yeah, all the capital yeah, yeah. myself, so let's let's spread the risk as long as it's a mutual concern versus a strategic, you know, concern. Right, right. Good. Um, yeah, it makes sense. So, all right, so let's dig in a little bit more to what exactly you're doing. You mentioned distributed ledger technology, um, which sounds a lot like blockchain to me. Um, or, or it's related. Yeah. I have to, I have to admit, I haven't done a lot of reading on this, this particular thing. I'm familiar with the, you know, like we've had the data gumbo guys on, on the show a number of times and we've talked with other people about using blockchain and various other types of contract automation and stuff like this. But, uh, but this one, this is, this is new. So what would like quick primer for those of us, is it primer or primer? I never really can decide, but, uh, uh, what, what what are we talking about with DLT? I mean, let's yeah. Block, it's I, I'll challenge your audience to to come back to me with a really good answer on the difference between blockchain and distributed ledger tech. Um, so so let's throw that out to your audience and and come back with me with a good answer. 
But distributed ledger, it's a it's a it's it's a hammer looking for a nail. It's a technology, and technology is a technology. It's not like it's not the yeah. end all free all. But if you say blockchain, it increases your valuation, of course. Um, yeah, right. but the reality right. is the, this is an industry. Uh, my investors are competitors, um, and so um, they're doing this as to to it's an, a platform that'll be open to to everyone in the industry. Um, but because they're competitors, they want their data to be secure. They want it to be immutable. So the trade data is actually super private and confidential. Um, one way to build a platform that everyone will buy in and trust is on a distributed ledger. So unlike, you know, sort of these public platforms like Ethereum where, or, or Bitcoin where the transaction data that, that is all sort of open to everyone, now their mm-hmm, identities right. are are private and secure, but the the actual ledger information, the actual transaction data, is open to everyone. Right. And a private sort of distributed ledger technology, which a lot of enterprises are moving towards to do specific purposes, is not a, not a, no one will have access to the entire ledger. Only those in, an, in as party to a trade, if it's a trade, two parties in a trade, only those two parties will have that ledger information. And that's where I think in our space, in energy trading, the industry got real comfortable around using distributed ledger tech because they can buy in and trust that, hey, only two of us will have that data. We will agree beforehand on the sort of the smart contract language, and then we execute it, and we know that that data is going to be secure because no one else will have that information. And that's really where I think you know, DLT or blockchain is sort of evolving over time. It's, you know, people are getting creative and figuring out how to leverage it to, to use it for its best yeah. purposes. Right, right, right. So interesting. So, um, so clearly that was, uh, so at, you mentioned it's a, um, a, uh, what did you say? A hammer looking for a nail yeah. problem, solution looking for a problem, but it, you know, um, but it seems like the right uh, the right hammer for this particular. We think so. This particular yeah. nail. Yeah. And if a better te- did, was it what, was it was it the only uh, like did you did you think about different approaches? Absolutely, it it's been like debated and it still choice. gets debated. And people still ask me mm-hmm. why are you using this? And I'm like, well, this is this is our reasoning. This is why we think it's it's the best use case, and why we're just why we're choosing a distributed ledger to build on top of. Um, but if something better comes along, we'll you know we'll consider it. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, Right. So what's the, um, so, so you just, you guys just got started with this or, or at least the company just September. Uh, yeah. Was, was just started. It, it was, is, is development underway? Uh, where, where are you at in the whole, uh, life cycle? Of development star- where we have started and we're super excited. Um, and we will probably announce progress and, um, in, in, you know, early to mid next year of where we are. So we're building. So, um, you know, it's all hands on deck building an MVP so that we can get it in front of our our investors, our customers, and potential future customers. Right. So it, it's interesting because um, whenever I talk to people now who are building something new, uh, the timelines these days are always um, so much faster than mm-hmm. you know, sort of the traditional timelines, and it, it, uh, it and it, it it seems like, I mean, people were always like a little bit 
over optimistic about time, especially not not that any software developer any thought anything was going to take less time than it did, but but uh, but people were usually optimistic. But it does seem like now, with all of the kind of the underpinnings and all the tools and 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 everything that we have at, at our disposal, we can create new like finished solutions and products so much more quickly than like things can be assembled much faster than they than than even just a few years ago. Is that? Not, but I haven't been on the front lines for a while. So is it like that? Well, you have a lot of. You <laughs> or, have a, well, there's a couple of things that have sort of the, why that's the case is today you have a lot of platforms that are pre-existing where people are building on top of, right. and they're instead of writing their own libraries, they're leveraging libraries and code from other people, and that's sort of the evolution right. of of software development. The other piece you have is sort of the agile methodology and, and the fact that, you know, rapid prototyping, get it in front of a customer versus let's build the whole thing and hope the customer likes it. So right, that's right. sort of the iteration is you building a minimum viable solution. It still has to do something, but you want to get it in front of the customer's hands as, as quickly as possible so that they can give you feedback. Yeah. 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 No, it's, 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 inter- it's fascinating. I think because I think about, I mean, I was doing, um, you know, working in consulting 15 years ago, 20 years ago, um, even 10 years ago. And, you know, the building anything new was, yeah, it was sort of like, it didn't matter what methodology you used. Yeah. It was a long, it was a long process. It was very expensive. And nowadays we can, we can put things together really quickly. So, um, all right. So let's say if we fast forward, right. To this whole, this, um, the the Iliox product platform, whatever it is, is going is built and it's out there. It's available. Whose whose life changes at that point? Like like specifically, what people, um, you know, like like my boss just came in and told me, hey, good news, uh, we've decided to buy Iliox. So like, who am I and why am I excited about that? How's it going to change? I think the biggest impact in the beginning is going to be on the the large operational teams at the trading houses that are responsible night and day for moving gas and power around the planet, especially starting in North America, I think they're going to be impacted the most because they can spend instead of time doing a lot of the manual work and manual entries, there'll be automation for them and they can focus on the higher order types of decision-making so that they can make their company more money at the end of the day. Right. So, um, so if I'm, if I'm one of those people and, and I just think this is interesting because I think not a lot of people in the industry don't maybe have exposure to this part of the business, but, um, so if I'm one of those people who has to move this stuff around the planet because a trade just happened, what do I like today? What do I actually do? How do I, how do I cause that to, to happen? A lot of times you get on the phone Well, you're talking to your trader and you get on the phone with the counterparty and you're saying, Hey, wait, I'm just confirming the trade. Some of that is digital today. Some of it is not mm-hmm, digital. Sure. You're confirming that a trade was done. And then after you confirm the trade, you have to actually physically, in the case of natural gas, you have to physically go um, into a pipeline wherever you're moving it and, and schedule it to move vo- a volume of gas to move from point A to point B. And then afterwards, right. once you schedule it, you have to make confirm that it was scheduled. Then you go and check to make sure it was actually the volumes actually got delivered from A to B. And once that happens, you have to settle and say, hey, this is 
what we originally agreed. Right. This is gas moved from A to B, and many times that gas has not moved from A to B in the same quantity. So there's disputes, and then you yeah, yeah. try to get paid. So it's a pretty long process. Yeah, yeah. And so if I'm sitting in the in the off, if I'm the person who has to so to schedule that gas to be delivered from point A to point B. Is that like, like, do I call somebody up and do like, how, do, how does like what's in my head get to like somebody physically like moving the equipment? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the pipelines have these electronic bulletin boards and EDI interfaces where you're, you're physically going online to schedule right. onto the pipelines to move gas from point A to B based on the contracts they have in place and the prioritization. And the pipelines are always getting demands five times a day. They're always getting orders, and they have to move gas based upon who gets priority. And a lot of times, depending on what sort of what kind of contract you have in place with the pipeline, um, they're going to either move your gas or they're gonna, they're not, or they're going to or it's going to the volume gets delivered in, in in one capacity or another. But it's not always as easy as it sounds. So yeah, so that's where a lot of the manual comes in. It's a lot of different systems, different interfaces, and manual entries. It sounds like, actually, it makes me think of, this might be a slight oversimplification, but it makes me think of, uh, like, in a short order kitchen, like, you're trying to get your ticket on that wheel that's going around, but, like, everybody's, like, but there's, like, some other, like, like, like waiter or waitress who's, like, beating you. That's a great analogy. And, I love that one. Then the, then, the, then the cook decides he doesn't like that one, and so he spins the wheel around and does a different one. Yeah. I'm yeah. writing that down because so I think that's a really good analogy. <laughs> so, so simplifying, but but that's where the that's where it really like where it all comes together, right? Is because you can do, like you said, you can do all of this uh, upfront. Okay, there was a trade. You do the math. You blah, 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 like all the financial part of it, and then at the back end, there's like the like you said the settling. But in the middle, this actual volume of stuff has to go from here Absolutely. to there. Absolutely, and it's and it sounds like that's where. Like, well, that's kind of like the weak link in the whole chain. Mm -hmm. So how, so how are you? Um, okay, so, so, we fast forwarded. My life looks so much better now. H how are you guys? How are you tackling that whole? And 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 I noticed somewhere on your in your uh, on your website or something there was something about like full life cycle platforms. Mm -hmm. So. I'm, I'm guessing that means are you I just you're, you're addressing so I just it from explain, the beginning all the way I to just the explained the full life cycle from confirmation to settlement, but that's I mean that's not super interesting. It's super interesting to me and it's super interesting to the people that we're actually building this product for. But but I think on a bigger level, you ask the question about why why should I care? Um, I think there's yeah. a couple big ideas happening in general. One is um, as carbon markets start to be stood up through regulation like California and, and some are voluntary, but people are asking now for how do I track the carbon intensity or the carbon emissions associated with the molecules, the gas, oil, whatever, LNG, and how do I track the carbon emissions of the electrons, whether that's generated from a coal-fired plant, a natural gas-fired plant, or through solar or wind farm. People are asking those questions like, I want to actually track the, those molecules because I want to know the carbon intensity as regulation starts to hit and as people are asking for that. So that's one really big idea that right now no one has been able to tackle at this point. So that's, a, so that's why 
if you care about sort of that space. And then there, well, yeah, yeah, sure. Then there's a sure. then there's a bigger bigger concentric circle around sort of the evolution of, of of retail. So these are what we're talking about right now is just the wholesale trading and marketing of gas and power. That's stuff that you know you and I don't see because it happens by big companies behind the scenes, and we just expect when we turn on our you know our gas at home, it lights up and. And are we turning yeah, our light yeah. switch? There's power. It just happens. Like we don't think about it. But there's also the fact that as power becomes more and more distributed, so you have solar um, at your house, um, then things are starting to become really interesting. Um, and and retail, we're starting to trade. As you see in some markets, people are trading power between themselves. There's a project mm-hmm. in Brooklyn where. Homeowners are trading excess power amongst themselves. The utilities trying to track it. It's complicated. That 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 will make implications in the wholesale market because then wholesalers yeah, now yeah. have to be thinking about okay, there's these things happening at the ed- grid edge that I have to manage and think about, which impacts how I make decisions and how I deliver power and gas. That's right. disrupting the wholesale market in a big way starting in Europe Europe's moving faster than we are but but the US is like we're going to have to start dealing with this because it's oh it's complicating how we make decisions and so yeah. moving gas and power and keeping the grid stabilized and keeping your power on because people want this they want five things today in the beginning they only wanted three they wanted cheap and reliable and uh, abundant power Right. That would be nice. Everyone right. expects that. I want it to be cheap, affordable power. I want it to be abundant. I always want it. Right. I want it to be reliable because I need it on all the time. Yep. But now they're off. They're asking for clean power and now and local power. And local matters because transporting power is very inefficient by nature. Yeah. And that's super sure. complicated. Sure. And that's why you're seeing like grid operators, like once you have more distributed assets on the edges, it's making grid operators. It's super complicated Yeah, because when there's excess, when there's excess generation, it's the most efficient to settle that excess power locally. Otherwise it creates a grid problem. So grid operators like, man, I'm having, there's all this challenge and I'm, my grid is harder to manage, which makes the traders difficult. But it's also difficult right. because um, it's grit, it's difficult for the users because, like, hey, I have excess power. I'd love to trade that. I'd love to sell it. Or I'd rather buy local power from you and your rooftop versus buying it from the from the grid because I don't want grid power anymore. It's either dirty or it's unreliable or they're charging me too much. So you're yeah, seeing yeah, this sort yeah. of the entire sort of wholesale and retail power and gas grid around the grids around the world and systems around the world it's starting to break and they're trying to figure out how do we manage this with technology and that's really kind of one of the things Mm -hmm. Eliox is thinking about in the middle of um, because that is a real threat um, to the ecosystem and it's happening and I can give you examples on a global basis because that's where I spent my time at Shell Ventures looking at it's like this is these are real issues where technology is going to have a dramatic impact yeah, no, I it, I can see that where, um, you know, it was it was so much simpler when 
you know, all the power started here and it ended out there, and there was so many endpoints and and uh, and. But yeah, now um, you could you can imagine the complications. But um, yeah, Michael said the grid. Yeah, you, you said it. The grid was originally designed to generate power centrally and push it to the nodes. The grid right. was never designed for it to be generated at the nodes and push it back. Right. And so or pushed between or pushed between the nodes or whatever all these yeah. So we're having to well, rethink I, the it, whole the whole infrastructure. It would be it would be surprising if someone at that at the time that the grid was developed if somebody could have I mean it would be quite remarkable for somebody to have had that kind of foresight and see that. So yeah, uh, if you look at those communities around the world that have generated that have overbuilt excess distributed generation, either either through um, overbuilt wind farms or overbuilt solar. Talk to the grid operators, which I have, and they'll tell you the cluster that they're facing of trying to manage the grid. Yeah. So, so that actually, when you go back to your your the things that people want, um, you know, the, number four and five are are they want it clean and they want it local, but they still also want the like cheap and abundant and reliable, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. But but what you're describing could really jeopardize the abundant and reliable because not because the power is not there or not because the power doesn't exist, but because we've broken the ability to get it from where it needs to be to where it's going, mm-hmm. it, which essentially kind of creates like a an outage that didn't need to be. It's not that the power wasn't generated. It's that it wasn't moved. Is that, that's right. Is that kind of... And that's why, I mean, yeah. you know, you think... It's easy, you know, in a, in a headline, it's easy to talk about, you know, pipelines and why we don't want pipelines because they're dirty because they're moving gas. But, like, we're not, you know, we have, an, you know, the investment into the pipeline infrastructure in North America is, you know, especially with the invention of the MLP where you're almost demotivated to mm-hmm. put money um, into, right. back into infrastructure. But, you know, we have a that's – a, that's an important issue, these – these pipelines are being, you know, they're they're um, they're not get some of the pipelines are not getting approved. Some of the pipelines need to be shut down, extra long for maintenance. But yeah, moving and and there's the demand for power is going up, Michael. I mean, yeah, we talk sure. about how great no, these no Teslas are, or you know, in my yeah. case, a different electrical vehicle. But guess what? You have to plug that in and charge that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah. takes power. No, you, yeah. and your iPhone and your I iPad and. My yep. Apple MacBook Pro, those all need power. Yes, yes, those are. Uh, it's amazing how, uh, and not to mention our our uh, our uh, our winter outerwear, but um, or electric skateboard <laughs> in my in my case, yeah, <laughs> electric skateboard, yeah, yeah, and uh, well, so you, but your surfboard, your surfboard doesn't. No, nope. that's power, w- one area, but I did. I, I I am I do have an investment in a in a company on. Um, I forget the fundraising site, but I'm not going to plug them. That has a um, a little thing you put on your surfboard by your fin that has a little propulsion. So I don't need it in Nantucket, but in Galveston, when the waves are a little bit slower, I can get into waves with a little bit yeah. of actual propulsion that I otherwise wouldn't be able right. to get into. So I might actually say that, hey, I might electrify my my surfboard and yeah. on occasion. <laughs> that sounds- yeah. 
There's some 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 uh, drivers of old wood panel station wagons that are turning in their graves when you when they hear you say. I that. know. Well, actually, they're probably still alive. They are, and they're out they're um, at Surfside. I see them. There's a lot of really old guys that surf that are pretty good. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it is amazing. Um, I'm curious about the Galveston thing because I, you know, we go to Galveston a lot just to hang out, and I've seen. And you said you said something like if the waves aren't very big, which seems like all the time it got. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, but I have seen some I've seen some guys out there like like with, with a board. You know, Winter storms, but work. you have to go south. I mean, Surfside's really the best place, right next to the for, to the LNG terminal. Um, that's that's the best place, kind of near Galveston. Then you go to Matagorda, and then, you know, ultimately you want to go down to South yeah, Texas then, where the real yeah, waves yeah. are. Right, exactly. All right, so we uh, we're kind of getting to that point where we can wrap it up. But I think the the thing that I was thinking as you're describing this because you went from we're we're making this uh, solution to uh, you're focused on natural gas initially, mm-hmm. right? Which is already a big a big challenge. I think um, we had an episode a, a while back with somebody uh, in, in talking from midstream who uh, it was more of a data discussion, but something about like a million miles of natural gas pipeline in the United States. Um, which I think was the number, like 1.2 million miles of, of uh, pipeline. So, th- so it's a huge, and that's just in you know U.S. North America. So it's a huge <laughs> space. But, but um, it sounds like what what you kind of your the longer term plan is you're gonna the the problem that needs to be solved is fundamentally the same whether you're doing it for natural gas or for electricity or other forms of power, or whatever. So, so you build the platform, you solve the problem in this kind of one use case, I guess, of natural gas, and then you start looking at how to adapt it to uh, some of these uh, other, is that, is that mm-hmm. the, that's the, uh, that's the plan. So, I mean, I, you know, and I mean, it, like- you know, when I started my first company and, and I went through business school and, you know, taught how to write a business plan, all that stuff, it's like, what is your vision and what's your exit strategy? And right. the, the more right. I do this, the more I realize, like, can you just build a company that can make money? And if you're good, you can figure out where the billion dollar idea is um hopefully you have it figured out but but the route from from a to b is filled with so many twists and turns and what you know people say is pivots you just need a you need an awesome team that can that can see the pivots and move to me it's about building an awesome team which is what we spend a lot of our time on here but we're starting with natural gas which is a great first product and we're super excited we have a lot of kind of global domination ideas but hey um you know, <laughs> yeah. well, you got to have those. You um, got to have those, but you yeah. got to. And then the, the and then the other thing that I guess I kind of pulled out of some of what you were going through there is that on the one hand, it's an incredibly complex problem. Once you explain it, like I have to go from like a day in the life of the person who has to try to figure out how to make the what was bought turn into what was moved and settle it and that like that like all the complexities that are in there right in the edi interfaces and the scheduling and everything so um like that sounds as you said incredibly complex but um but it's solvable i guess is what you're saying right this is this is uh this is a solvable problem and that we can actually um solve and and adapt to all these different all these different purposes i guess you believe it's solvable otherwise you wouldn't uh <laughs> because when you describe it, it sounds like it might not be solvable. That's, I guess, that's why I made that that uh, call. Well, I mean, I think there's quite a few bodies left. There's people that have tried this before that have been unsuccessful. And if you talk to some of the insiders and people in the industry, you know, I think when they've heard the news about us, they're like, "Well, you know, good luck. 
but but I love that challenge. I get, I want the yeah. I, w- I want the hard challenge. I don't want the easy one. Um, we're building an awesome team that you know if we can't do it, then either I'm really bad, which is possible, and so, um, or secondly, it's it can't be done. But I don't believe that. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because that that was my thought. I was like, hmm, this sounds like one of those uh, like you got to hot de- step over some dead bodies in order to solve this one. But uh, how, so, how many people do you have now at the cannon out there? We have uh, six and growing. Oh, which uh, okay. So I'll have to when I'm out there again. I'll have to stop by and and uh, and say hello. So this is. Uh, but that's. I think that's going to wrap us up for today. I usually ask people what uh, where do they learn to. Uh, or where do they go? Where do they Where do they look to learn more? And uh, you already mentioned you got a blog, Kirk Coburn. That's right. That you said? So, so you're blogging there. So people, and we'll put all this in the show notes. We'll put links to everything in the show notes. We'll put links to that, um, and uh, the the uh, Eliox website. Any any uh, any other like if if I just people want to learn more about this whole subject and and uh, especially you know understanding more about where. Um, about how these innovations are going to help with all those things that you said, besides just moving stuff, but you know, better, cleaner, local. Where any any good resources that people can look at? Eliox.com. Um, and other resources. Um, we'll chat. I'll send you a link. I'll send you a few links. Okay. All right. Yeah. If you send me some stuff and. Uh, um, and we'll put it. Uh, we'll put it all in the show notes. So, that's going to wrap it up, though. Uh, thanks, Kirk. I really appreciate you. Uh, you make it hey, likewise. Thanks, Michael. Have a great uh, rest of your week. Cheers. Well, there you have it, folks. The beginnings of uh, what I think is going to be a pretty exciting new company in a in a very interesting space. And so, of course, we were, we we, whew, we wish. We wish too many Merry Christmases over the last couple of weeks, but uh, but we wish Kirk and his team uh, all the success and, uh, and and the fortune and glory that comes with uh, these exciting new ventures paving the way through something that somebody hasn't done before. And uh, so hopefully it all goes well for them. Uh, that is going to wrap it up for today. Just thanks for again for listening to uh, to the Oil and Gas Tech Show here on the Oil and Gas Global Network. Keep an eye on on what we're doing. There's going to be more stuff coming this year. Uh, you know so. So we're just getting the year kicked off and we've got a lot, a lot of new ideas uh, for new programs and other things that are going to be happening this year. So follow us on LinkedIn and, you know, all the usual places. And uh, and, and not only is there new stuff, but all the, all the regular stuff is going to keep going. And all of our hosts, uh, all of our show hosts are working hard to line up new guests and new topics. And so um, if you're not familiar with any of the other shows, then uh, this is a great time to go to OGGN.com. You can see them all there. Or if you're an Apple podcast listener, as almost, well, uh, Spotify's coming along now, but but many of you are Apple Podcast listeners. And, uh, you know, you can go to our channel there, OGGN, the OGGN channel. You can see all the shows and uh, and, and listen to whatever you want. And I'm sure that you will find something that uh, you find to be interesting and entertaining and, what, and whatever other reason you listen to podcasts for. You will find it uh, if, you, if you're interested in this industry. That... And I, I know I said that's going to wrap it up, but but now that's really going to wrap it up. Thanks again to the OGGN team and uh, and most especially to my audio fixer guy, Mr. Mac Roman, who's going to make this sound fantastic. And remember, when you hear somebody, I mean, surely you don't still hear in this in this day and age, and yet you do hear people who will say uh, something about oil and gas being you know behind the times, uh, very innovative. You know, you know the whole thing. I've been saying this for a long time. Just remember, uh, you just gotta now. Don't be too aggressive. Don't like. Don't get up in people's face. Just kind of very gently, 
you know, lead them to the new understanding that, in fact, if you look at the history of this industry over the last 100 plus years, you will find out that we were tech before tech was cool. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGDN.com.